everybody. And welcome to our newest project for first responder wellness, No One Fights Alone, an in-depth conversation about mental health and addiction in the first responder space. We're joined by your hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Welcome back to the No One Fights Alone podcast, where we honor the men and women of our nation's first responder community by having difficult conversations about the challenges they face every day. This is the the first episode, it seems like, in a long time that we've gotten the opportunity to sit down in person. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's because we're lucky enough, uh, all of us here today, to be in Anaheim. Is that right? Anaheim, California. Yeah. yeah. L.A. to me is just, it's all L.A. It's all blurry. Yeah. All Southern California is all L.A. I'm not a big fan. And that's... Uh, I kind of like it. I kind of dig it. I'm a Northern Cali boy, man. Like, we, we despise everything L.A. Like, growing up, we made fun of it. I'm a Giants fan. Hate the Dodgers. Everything well, like that. It's cold out here. I mean, I, I I came in thinking, you know, you're coming from Oklahoma. And I'm thinking, this is going to be great weather. It's... 41 degrees here. It's great weather for us. Same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, well, yeah, you're coming from six foot snow in Utah. Yeah. I think it was 18 inches last week in one day. Uh, yeah. I took my sweater off the minute I walked off the plane. It was great. Well, I love people watching, and there's some good people watching in LA. Yeah. And we are what? Kitty Corner to Disneyland right now? You can see it right out the window. Yep. Yeah. And so that's, that's awesome. That's nice. I mean, we all know. Uh, we'll introduce our guest here in a minute, but his. His dream in life is to, to take his family to uh, Disneyland. Don't want to put him on blast here too much. Uh, but uh, introduce our guest, um, Mr. Tyler Tusher. He is the uh, director of admissions over at Chateau Recovery, where all of us work. Uh, we dragged him with us to the conference uh, to make sure that he keeps us all in line. Absolutely. And I don't know if we mentioned, if you did, I'll just say it again. We're at the IACP, Officer Safety and Wellness um, Conference. And so glad to have Tyler here. Uh, actually excited for all three of us to be here to meet some really great people. Uh, it's, a, it's a great conference to be around great people. 7,200 people. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's going to be a lot. Yeah. I think the last few we've gone, what what was COPS, Tyler, do you think? A couple thousand? Yeah, about that. Yeah, and that was yeah. busy. I mean, from sunup to sundown all day long. So, Welcome, Tyler. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I've known Tyler for, has it been seven years? Does that sound right? Six. Six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we've walked through quite a few things together. We've actually worked at two different jobs together. Um, so we've seen both of us grow up a little bit together in, in this space, in the uh, mental health space. And so, you know, Tyler, give us a little introduction about yourself, you know, a little bit of your background uh, and we'll we'll jump into what you do at Chateau too a little bit later. I want to jump in here and just say how I met Tyler. I actually don't remember it, but Tyler remembers it. And I was actually walking out of Chateau when Tyler was walking in your first day, correct? My first day, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Great story. Yeah, just walking up to Chateau and out comes Brad storming mad about something, and <laughs> I can't take this. And I was like, oh, great. Here yep. we go. You thought you had left a job where you were dealing with a bunch of bullshit yeah. every day yeah. to something that was going to be a, a little bit different of a population, a little bit more mature, and yeah. then out walks Brad <laughs> Immature. Shepard. Brad. Immature Brad Shepard. Yeah. yeah. And you were Oh, this is what happens. Yeah, you were probably like, what did I just choose to do? <laughs> I was like, Austin lied. Yep, yep. 
<laughs> it, it was a perfect introduction, right? It was. You know, little did I know, here we'd be sitting and, you know, look how far he's come. Oh, man, I'm glad to be here. Good deal. I'm glad to be here. He was one of the lowest ones. So, you know, for him to grow up and peak, it wasn't, there wasn't (laughs) much. How did this happen? Yeah, it wasn't much for him to to have to do. (laughs) Only only way was up. Yeah, absolutely. So, Tyler, tell us a little about yourself. So, you know, my story, you know, starts growing up in a good family, you know, couple brothers, a sister, um, in Sandy, Utah is where I grew up and, uh, followed my dad down the career path. You know, I was a CPA, uh, working on taxes and following in his footsteps and, you know, thought kind of had my life figured out, you know, and I had a little brother that struggled with addiction. And to me, from that standpoint, it, it baffled me, you know, that someone would be willing to let a, a my, you know, such a small, substance destroy their life and you know kind of fast forward the track a little bit um just as he was kind of wrapping up his addiction and my older brother fell down the alcoholic path as well and so it just really was um something that I experienced a lot growing up um from a kind of a bystander standpoint and then um, I was you know engaged to this um woman to you know get married and she also fell into the path of addiction and so I just felt like no matter where I went I was surrounded by it and and it kind of infuriated me and you know my story it sounds so simple when you say well having all these examples of how it can ruin you be around you why would you fall down that path and I think a big part of that was my belief that I was above addiction and my belief that I was different than them and so when I found myself addicted and falling totally off track from where I thought I was going to end up in life, um, it left me really baffled on what to do. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think you're, the reason why I find your story fascinating is you found yourself in a professional field, you know, like a four-year degree, school, um, spent a lot of time you know, growing in that career and you didn't have to walk down that path till, till much later in your life, but it was a, it was a pretty quick fall, wasn't it? It was quick. Yeah. It only took a a few years and I found myself uh, homeless on the streets of Salt Lake city. And both my brothers had been able to find their own version of recovery. And they had, you know, learned through the, you know, don't be an enabler mindset to just kind of let me figure it out, you know? And so, I truly had nowhere to turn to, and honestly, at the time, I don't think I really cared. And, and so during this period of my life, I had a lot of run-ins with law enforcement, and some of them really positive, uh, some of them negative. But there was one uh, chance that was afforded me through the justice system to do drug court, and, and that's where I really had a mindset to change, you know, and, and really had the support um, from Salt Lake County and a couple of the, you know, clinicians they had on staff to really start analyzing, okay, what's going on and how do you stop? Yeah. And did so, you, sorry, nope. did you, did you know at the time that you were afforded that kind of second chance through that, or was that a realization later that that was a, no, I, I knew that that was a total second chance, you know? Yeah. And so I was very grateful for that opportunity. And I saw a lot of people, um, just kind of messing around and not really seizing that opportunity and they just kept 
going in and out, in and out of jail. And I thought, you know, let's really take this opportunity to try to better myself. Yeah. And so, Brad, on on the uh, police side, uh, I'm sure you've gathered kind of in your head um, where Tyler was at in his life. Like, what were your thoughts towards people like Tyler, like the ones that had, you know, become you know, addicted and, and homeless. And did you feel like there was a chance for people to ever come out of that? You know, it's interesting. You say that oftentimes the public doesn't realize how much, um, law enforcement fire, um, emergency medical gives of themselves to this community, literally giving out of their pocket. I, I can't tell you how much money I've given to people that are down and out. They've, I've run across them somehow. They don't know their next meal. They don't know where they're going. Uh, there's only, a handfuls, uh, a handful of avenues that I mean, they're the law enforcement and fire industry are pretty limited on how they can help. Um, but you know, there's also that personal acknowledgement of let me help you, let me get you to a, a hot bed and a warm meal somewhere. Um, maybe not even a homeless shelter. Um, one of the most valuable experiences I saw uh, in my break-in period as a new uh, trooper. Um, I stopped a guy that was down and out and he was, you know, it was a learning experience for me. He, he, um, had a boatload of violations that I was, I looked forward to writing him up on cause I was a new guy and you get credit for all those, you know, citations and whatnot. And my, I look up and my break-in partners handing him money out of his wallet somehow. And he comes back and sits down. I'll never forget this conversation. He said, my conscience is clean. And I said, I have no idea what you're even talking about right now. He said, that guy's got nothing. And that right there, not to go into greater detail, but that right there uh, was a, a facilitation of an education towards people who, and they just, life is beating the ever-living shit out of them, and they need a hand. And that's a lot of our frontline people out there are those hands and giving them money out of their pocket, giving them uh, rides to a hot hot bed, uh, hot meal. And so that, I don't know if that answers your question, but that is, that is a hundred percent what happens out here that the public never sees. They never see that kind of uh, demonstration of humanity, uh, afforded the people who have just been, been kicked. They've yeah. been kicked really hard. Well, a lot of society, like a lot of people want to not hear about that, oh, right? Like absolutely. they, they want part of the, yeah. the, yeah. Public safety's job in their mind is to keep that from their view. Doesn't uh, doesn't feed the narrative, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that it's real, uh, which was why I was curious about Tyler's, you know, his uh, his second chance viewpoint towards the system itself, albeit broken on some levels, uh, is it affords people opportunity uh, in many ways uh, to to a second chance um, now. Not all of those are taken. Some of them are, you know, we hear the exploits of people abusing that or, uh, but man, what a success story here, Tyler. I, I, so back up here a little bit with your brothers. Uh, when you said you found yourself homeless, uh, what was the messaging that you were hearing from your brothers at that point? Well, at that point, <clears throat> Brad, I'd just gotten pretty, pretty toxic, you know, and, and if you, I had a relationship with you, it was, I was exploiting it in some way. So mm -hmm. they had just cut off all communication. Um, I think the only one that was still talking to me was my mom. And I think, you know, my dad, my brothers, my sister, everyone else had kind of shut that door. Sure. But you think you'd earn that? Oh, for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say if someone had done to me some of the things that I had done to my family, I probably would not be talking to them today. Yeah, it demonstrates the love and forgiveness that my family has shown that they see via my actions that I'm trying to be a different person, not just better uh, or abstaining from, but being different and giving me that opportunity to mend that. Yeah. And that, that's a beautiful thing right there. So you start off this recovery journey. T- tell us a little bit about that journey, kind of where you have found yourself to be successful, maybe where some, some parts where you've struggled, um, things like that. So kind of where I started this journey, um, you know, is kind of going in and out of the rooms of AA and just kind of getting a feel uh, for what the guys in there that were successful were doing, you know, a belief in a higher power or, you know, doing the step work, you know, and then I really went to treatment and was in, you know, able to participate in the therapeutic benefits of, of having a clinician and, and having group therapy. And so it really got the wheels spinning for me. And I wish I could say that it stuck from the first minute I was exposed to that, but it didn't, you know, it took a couple different times. And finally, you know, I found myself at a, a isolated ranch where I had to commit to a year long, um, treatment and I decided to do it. You know, my family had asked me to, and I said, okay, yeah, if it will help me be better than sure. And, and so things that I found to be successful, um, number one, first and foremost is I had to be willing to do anything that was asked of me, you know, even, no matter how crazy and ridiculous I thought it was, for example, I thought that holistic approach, you know, whether it was essential oils or meditation was just strange. And everyone that did that was weird. And it's funny that working with, you know, law enforcement today, that's probably one of their first responses when I mention, yes, when you come to Chateau, you will be doing a morning meditation. They all kind of scoff and laugh or say, oh, geez. crazy, and, crazy and stuff. I, I share that same mindset. But now I'm like, I gave it a shot and there's parts of that that I love and I use all the time, you know? So Brad, I got to tell you a funny story and I may have told you this before. Uh, So for anyone that was listening, I was a staff member when Tyler came into this particular treatment center. The first day that I met Tyler in my own head, I remember saying, this guy doesn't have a chance. (laughs) There's no way that this guy makes it. And you didn't get to see that side of him. But now he just exudes confidence. I don't understand. I don't understand how you say that. Yeah, right? It's a completely <laughs> different side. I mean, it's it's a lot of people. I mean, I think that there's, I think we naturally as humans just, you know, may have a bias towards someone we just oh, meet. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's that's the one I had on Tyler. Yeah. You know that, Tyler. Oh, for sure. Everybody said that to me. <laughs> every staff member, every resident, they're like, oh, dude. You don't have a chance, you know, and looking back on it, I don't blame them, you know. So the holistic um, endeavor that you 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 were given uh, when you were in your facility there, what what were your thoughts on that when you, um, this, from skepticism to whatever you arrived to now? So I think two things to that, Brad. I think one of the big things that you hear a lot is your breathing because when you're amped up or you're angry or you're sad, mad, whatever, the last thing you want to hear is, well, let's slow down. Let's take some breaths. 
you know. In fact, the teacher was given her first lesson, and she was like, okay, the name of this breath is the natural high. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm down with that one. You know, then when she just sat there and did a, you know, a bunch of breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth, I felt a little jaded. You know, mm -hmm. I felt like Cheated. she held back, you know. Oh, yeah. But, and so, honestly, just the simple concept of just slow down and just slow your mind, slow your body, and really analyze why are you feeling the way you're feeling and not reacting in that moment. You know, that, that was you know there's so much that can be gleaned from that. Just from uh, And just uh, recently, Austin and I were finishing up a couple of interactions with some people, and we ended up doing some meditation with them after because it was clear that we had, you know, we had uh, touched – uh, on some emotional things, uh, but just practicing a small breathing exercise or a mindfulness exercise of it's really shows how much we live either behind us or in front of us through worry, regret, instead of just being present. And I think it's one of the great things about what you just demonstrated right there of just being here, feeling the breath. Once you feel the breath, you can actually start feeling the tension in your body. Okay, why is that there? What's going on with me? And now you know, Okay, something's up. I, yeah. I didn't know this, but Brad is a, a very strange guru with the meditation. <laughs> okay. like even even I started like listening in, and it was obviously for designed for a specific person that we were doing it with. But even I started following along, and meditation's really tough for me. I try and practice it too, but it's it's tough. Uh, so, all right, so you went through that a treatment center, uh, and you came out the other side uh, successful. Mm -hmm. relatively speaking, right? Yeah. And so tell us how you found this path because, you know, part of this, I think, you do face the same issue that I do uh, in this field, which is gaining trust from public safety without having a history of being in public safety. Right. I think that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a natural issue. Uh, that we that we just have because of our backgrounds and and whatever it is. So so how did you find yourself taking this path? So honestly, the reality is, due to me being in drug court, there were very few employers willing to hire me outside of treatment centers. And this is as a former CPA. So did you lose your license? So no, but I had sat back and analyzed. I was miserable doing that work. And I had to make a choice. Do I continue being miserable, doing something that makes great money, but ultimately is leads to me being unhappy and stressed out all the time? And so I actually decided not to go back to that career path at that time. And so the only opportunities afforded to me were working at treatment in the graveyard position. And I landed a job with First Step House in Salt Lake City, which at the time was a 64-bed facility, and they served a lot of veterans. You know, about half that population were veterans. And as I started working graveyard with these, with these gentlemen, and I started to see their struggles when, you know, the symptoms of PTSD would kick in and they would go into a sheer panic at 2 a.m. in the middle of their bedroom and trying to help calm them down and just finding out that if I had already established rapport with that guy before he started you know, getting all stressed and, and having a reaction, it infinitely helped my ability to help him calm down and just gaining that trust. And so I built a lot of strong relationships with, with these guys, and, and I really liked 
doing that type of work and being there for them. First Step then opened a, a building that was 50 beds, and it was all veterans, and they asked me to manage that building. And so I transferred over to that building, and I worked there uh, just really hands-on working you know, alongside representatives from the VA and then with these veterans, and I just fell in love with doing this type of work and seeing the appreciation that they put into it. But then the flip side was just seeing them willing to do anything I asked them to do. And so they kind of, we shared that common belief of that mindset of, I got to get better because I got to get home to my family. And I'm going to do anything it takes. And that's something I find that whether it's fire or whether it's law enforcement or whether it's EMT, they all share that mindset of, I don't want to come out to Chateau, but I will do anything to be a better person and to just be there for my family. And so we, again, share that common theme of let's get you out here. Let's put 100% of our effort into the program that we offer, and then let's get you home to your family. You know, I think one of the uh, amazing things of, of, of why you're so good at what you do really circles back to a point that you made, which was you, you are doing this because at your core, this is what you believe is good for Tyler. Yes. And to give up a career that you clearly could have made a lot of money at, or, you know, maybe already were, but a lifestyle, if you will, to say, I'm going to choose a different path because that's what's best for me, I think transcends into that culture of, of credibility that you're talking about and building rapport with people to say, I'm not here playing games. This is, this is who I am. This is what I am. This is what I believe down to my core. And people sense that, especially the first responder community, they see they're, they people become very transparent after you work with people so long in this capacity as a first responder, uh, you start to see people, um, through the, through the layers really quickly. And I think they see that in you pretty Auth- quickly. Authenticity. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So they can, yeah. they can see through some of the bullshit of the old, cause I, I know when you talk to people, you're not, you're, you're offering what is available, uh, you know, at Chateau or what is available on the recovery journey. You're not selling them a, a pile of bullshit. Right. But it's so counterintuitive. Yeah. Right. We're told to, to chase, you know, the, the dream is success. The dream is, and what's, you know, what that definition is success is the big house, the big retirement, the big, you know, whatever. And I think it's such a, a testimony to you to say, I figured out what's really important to me and you're pursuing that. Yeah. So with that being said, uh, keep, let's keep going. So, so you're now endeavoring in this uh, veteran capacity, you know, you're now working with veterans at a 50 bed facility. I think is what you're saying. Uh, tell us a little bit more about some of the some of the goings ons there and and how you were growing as a as a human there. Well, I think growing as a human there is seeing when a full scale PTSD panic attack kicks in in the middle of the night, and and you're with an individual that has been trained to hurt people and and so you know that they have the capacity to you know hurt themselves or and others and you it is your responsibility to help calm them down and so something that i learned was just quite simple is just kind of what we said is if they know that you care 
about them and that they can trust you and that you're in their boat, they're open to hearing what you have to say. If, if you don't even have that, then you can't even start the process. And, and so, well, it's a completely different side of mental health. PTSD is a, is a, a different monster in itself because some of the decisions or some of the panic attacks or, you know, symptoms that PTSD has are different than what a normal person will see. Right. Like a, Absolutely. a, a substance use disorder yeah. center manifests itself in a lot of different yes. uh, ways than substance abuse, alcoholism. Yes. I mean, that could be one of them, but yeah, PTSD, when that, some of those symptoms come on, they manifest themselves in really some dangerous ways. Yeah. And there's, there's, a, there's, the emotions are, are much more intense. Does that sound fair? Yeah, sure. And they're looking for safe places. Yeah. Or safe people. Yeah. So, so that was your journey at first step. Uh, and so you learned a lot about PTSD in general. I mean, were you exposed to that before, beforehand at all? Not in that capacity. No. I mean, I think anytime you, that you end up, you know, on the streets, you see a lot of crazy stuff, mental health issues, like a lot. What is it? There's a really high percentage that a lot of the people that are homeless have some type of mental health disorder going Mm -hmm. on. Yeah. But that was definitely my first time in that capacity. So first step house, what's, what's the next phase after that? So I ended up relapsing and, and losing that opportunity. And that's when I then landed out at the ranch where I met you and was able to go through that treatment opportunity. And what I found throughout that process was life changing. And it also was comfortable. And I'll be honest, I was a little shameful to return to the recovery world where I had been working and, and kind of worked my way up. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to stay here in this remote ranch and just work here. And so it was a lot of frontline um, stuff, you know, a lot of books and a lot of working with the guys as they come in and, and just helping them work through their emotions as it comes up. And that's, you know, I was there for about four and a half years. And then you called me and told me to come check out Chateau and and I didn't want to just get caught up in working at all these different treatment centers I really wanted to believe in what was being offered and so when I came up and met you know you and um, the clinical director and the owner and saw what the program you offered um, it was a no-brainer to make the switch and and your life is completely different at that point right like you'd gotten married yeah during the process yep had gotten married um had another kid, you know, so, you know, she had brought her daughter in. And so we're a full boat, you know, dog and all. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you, so you have literally done a 180 from where you were. You've done a 180 a few times. So you're, you've done a full 360 back to former, (laughs) that's right. Former addiction, Tyler. Right. So, okay. So we brought you up to Chateau and the, the fact of the matter is, is we stole you or I stole you. I pushed you pretty hard to, to make that decision um because i needed the help there's there's very few people that i think it's what we talked on earlier brad is i don't think there are very many people that can speak with on authenticity to first responders coming in because tell me if i'm wrong but if you are not a first first responder it takes a different person to do the job that tyler does 
Absolutely. On several levels, uh, kind of goes back to what I was saying before. There's, this is a group of people that have, that have worked through such a, a vast, uh, socio level. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word, uh, to describe, uh, the societal levels of, you know, the rich, the poor, all of it. And they've seen, they've seen all the bullshit and they can see through bullshit almost instantly. Uh, and if they can't see it, they're going to test you. They're going to put something out there to throw a test. Uh, you know, I, I always use humor. You could, you could tell a lot of be about a person and what they laugh at and how they laugh. And so you'd use humor as a little defense mechanism to pick on them, see where they go. Um, but first responders as a whole, and they see through that quickly. And if you're authentic, love that word. If you're authentic, um, there's a, there's an immediate, okay, I'm safe. I'm, I'm, I'm in at least in a safe space with Tyler or with Austin or with Brad. And that moves you towards, okay, I can take this next step, which that's one of the great things about Chateau. I mean, there's so many levels of, of, uh, people and, and I've heard, we've all heard it, you know, from the time I walked through the door, I felt safe. And this is, this is, we're talking about, we, we were laughing at, at lunch about picking up at the airport and, and transporting, you know, people in this, you know, this carriage ride of, of doom, what that first responder thinks, <laughs> you know, this, this, this doom travel to, oh no, my life is going to change. And what little do they know is it's going to change for the better if they'll, if they'll lean into it and it's going to be great. And we know that that's one of the great things. And, and I think that's where Tyler comes on and with such patience and, and authenticity, um, of saying, I'm going to take really good care of you. And this is going to be great. All you got to do is do the work. Well, I'll tell you one thing. So this is actually part of the reason that I thought Tyler would be a good fit for this position. You can take shit. You can take some shit. I've been giving you shit for six years. Yeah. Yep, we can. Yeah, and that's that's part of it. There's there's not much that uh, gets underneath your skin, which is the only the only way someone can do this type of job because every once in a while you're going to get told to fuck off. Do you yeah. enjoy what you do? I love it, yeah. So, uh, so tell us why. I mean, it, you... You do some great work, but you, the funny part is, it's the entire time I've I've not heard you really bitch one time. Not really. I mean, you, there's a grumble here and there. Yeah, I, I definitely grumble and, but I'm really selective. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, on where and when I release that energy. Right. Um, but why I love it is if I were to boil it down to the simplest of terms is when a person is struggling and they are just lost and confused, and they just need help. They don't need someone to give them all the answers. They just need someone to put their hand on and say, I need help. Please point me in the direction. Point me to this help. And I get to be that guy that answers that call and hears them in their probably their one of their darkest moments mm-hmm. and say, there is hope, and I will show you a way to some help and whether that's with us a chateau whether it's at some of our trusted partners whether it's at their home area with you know maybe a little bit more outpatient whatever that hope or help may be i want to help them find it and so i love being that hope for them cavalry's here right yeah Yeah. rescue's here and that's that's something i encounter a lot you know one of the biggest 
kind of questions or hesitancies I've, I've found that responders have is their whole career, they've been that Calvary. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been that for their family. They've been that for their, um, you know, the cities they work for, the departments they work for. And so it's strange for them to have to reach out for that cavalry. And so I understand that, you know, and I let them know that that's okay, that sometimes you got to have some help. Everybody needs a little help from time to time. Yeah. So let's get into the meat and potatoes on this particular subject. So you have probably heard, well, I know you've heard a ton of different questions when people are looking for an option for themselves or a family member or whatever it may be. What are some of the main questions that you get on that front front end? Sure. It, some of the, probably f- the highest amount of questions that, that, that I get is, what about my family? You know, when I leave, my wife has to take care of this or my kids have to take care of this or what are they going to think? And so a lot of times the question is, what about my family? And I, I don't know about you, but the, the line that I've used there is, this is an investment for your family. Yeah, I let them know, like, I am a father with four daughters. And so I understand what it means to be needed, you know. And our family loves us, and they're going to miss us, but they want us to be 100%. And they are willing to carry that load. The wives are willing to carry that load while you go become stronger. I always say you can't lift a drowning man higher than you yourself are drowning. And so if you're on a strong, firm foundation, you're able to lift that man up pretty high. Brad, what, did that hit home a little bit for oh, you? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, and, and, you know, just to, to kind of jump in there with the family liaison program, I love where you're going with this because you're, you're such a great question. I'm, I'm glad you went down this road because uh, Tyler's fielding a lot of these um, these interactions that are, are not only answering questions that subside people's anxiety, but, but actually giving them a lifeline as it were to say, look, with it, I've got some answers for you. Maybe Chateau's not the only answer, but Chateau is an answer uh, to what's going on with you. And I absolutely love that viewpoint. The metaphor of the drowning is so good, you know, and you know, I, I personally have asked people in the past is what you're doing now working for you, you know, not to be cold and crass, but the hard, I mean, we, we deal in a lot of truth and cold, hard reality on this side of the, on this side of the table. I mean, people, when they're calling us, they're not calling us because they just won the lottery. They're calling us because their life is upside down. Well, that's the thing is there's sometimes at night and usually late at night, if I, my phone rings and it's a specific person, my heart will drop. Right. Right. Cause, cause you know, that they're they're calling you because something's going on right it's tough it's tough sometimes especially when you really care about that person or know that whoever's calling you is in charge of taking care of somebody else right and it's go time yeah i think the flip side to that as well which helps bring a lot of ease is i tell them that families need time to heal also and so sometimes the families view you being away not as a celebration that you're gone but as a opportunity to heal and and i've found that giving them that time you know we can't dictate how long someone's going to hurt or how long someone's going to be mad 
And so a lot of times that treatment gives them that opportunity to heal for themselves as well. Absolutely. So <clears throat> what is another one of the questions that, um, that you is, is pretty common uh, that you end up feeling that, that, that just a concern or, Hey, what about this? I think the second one would be, what about my job? I don't want to lose my job. Um, how's it going to look at the department and you know, how do I ensure that I don't lose my career? It's a great question. Yeah. It's a great question. And which is, it varies, right? It, it, based upon department discipline, yep. what state they're coming from. Um, you know, that's a, that's a common question related to, uh, the anxiousness and anxiety of, of first responder because they're oftentimes their, um, their life is, 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 is that, you know, their personality, everything about them has been wrapped up in this career of being the hero and, and it's your turn to help the hero, you know, so they're actually, so, you know, you're fielding questions, you almost have to be a national ex expert as it were on certain things, right? We laugh about it, but the reality is, you know, that you have, now you're building an experience uh, base of across the country of here's how it's going to work in Oklahoma or Utah or California or now even New Jersey. Well, they're all different, right? Mm -hmm. But there is a, a pretty big standard across the board, which a lot of people do not realize until someone like yourself, Tyler, lets them know this, but FMLA. FMLA will cover treatment if you are at a job longer than one year, which you know the reality is, is the first responders that are seeking treatment, it's years of trauma or substance abuse or whatever it may be, right? And so... Normally, that's not an issue. And there's also short-term disability that can be utilized while you're at treatment so you can get continue to get paid. Some departments put you on a sick leave. Some of the more uh, departments that have been revolutionary are the ones that are like, just go on a sick leave and you'll get paid your entire paycheck. So that's that's out there, right? Well, I think one of the great things about Chateau, and I'm sure this is the case for, for a lot of our partners that we work with, they're... Um, there's a lot of help there. You're not, you're not going to navigate this on your own there. You know, we can guide you through this. We can talk you through this. We're going to hold your hand through this. Is that fair? Have you, yeah, have absolutely. you had to do that? I mean, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's one that, that conversation is probably every single person when it comes to the job, like you do have to do somewhat of a handholding, I'm guessing. Yeah. You know, most departments, um, whether they're supportive of seeking mental health help or not has an HR and it starts there. And I am finding most HR departments are understanding and supportive. Well, they, ha they kind of have to be like by law, right? Like this is, uh, especially with PTSI, like it is, it is co covered under the state statute that someone may need to seek a medical leave of absence in order to deal with the symptoms that they're experiencing. Not to ignore, I mean, I know, I know there's going to be some listeners out there right now thinking, well, my department didn't. I mean, that's, don't want to ignore there are examples of administrative betrayal on the table. Oh, absolutely. That's real. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's something I do need to, to kind of clear the air on that one is, that, you know, even though there are a lot of places that will help with that, there are places that will not. I've seen... I've seen it the on the other end as well. Absolutely, yeah. So keep so if we keep moving, then what are what what other questions may be on the table that you often incur uh, from people calling in, saying, "Hey, I want to tell me a little bit more." 
here's a concerning question, which would be. Yeah, I think probably the next one would be um, when an officer is saying, I can't admit that I have a problem. I can't admit that I need mm -hmm. to seek help because I then become that demographic that I encounter every day. And so they have this fear of if I'm not the good guy, I'm the bad guy. Or if I'm not the good guy, who am I? When in reality, there's no labels of, of good and bad. You know, we're all susceptible to mental health, especially when you're doing the line of work that they're doing where you're putting your mind in a state of unnaturalness. You know, it's not natural for the, for the mind to encounter the hyper arousal that you experience all day to then go home to the family and just turn it off. Like mm. that's just not what well, the, the body's programmed to do. Well, then you're, st you're sticking in hyper arousal or hypo arousal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've, we've talked about this a ton, but that's window of tolerance stuff to where you're not, you're never in that window. You're either one or the other at all times. Yeah. So if I call in, I'll just use that as an example, uh, do a Tylerism here. Uh, if I'm calling in and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm worried about this, uh, this, you know, the stigma as it were, uh, what does, what does Tyler say to him? You know, to address the stigma, you know, there's really not a whole lot that I can say because people are, are going to say what they're going to say. They're going to talk about you however they're going to talk about you. But what I can do to help alleviate that concern is I can say, while you're here, you're surrounded by a peer group that understands you and you're surrounded by professionals that understand you and you don't encounter that here. Yeah, there's not going to be a, a judgment or a preconceived notion about somebody prior to because we can't we can't control what other people think of us or what other people say about us right it's a huge portion of our self-worth and we care i think for someone to say they don't care what anyone thinks about them i i personally don't believe that i don't know about you guys no i've in in doing this work for um quite some time i've found it really interesting that and i can only speak for law enforcement because that's my background uh and the the discipline that i've worked in the most but there's a really uh, dangerous, um, condemning way that we look at ourselves, which is this uh, measurable uh, evaluation of how we look at maybe all aspects of that, being a trauma. Well, my trauma is not as bad as your trauma. I mean, we, we don't say these words, right? But in our minds, we evaluate this and say, well, well, you know, Tyler's not crying. Then why do I have this in inherent need to want to cry i'm going to leave i'm going to go do something different and we just uh, stuff that down now comparatively I, I say that to say in this this stigma conversation we're having we compare ourselves all the time i don't know if this happens to everybody but it's 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 very predominant in this first responder community where we say you know i should be stronger i should be healthier i should not have to go to chateau or go to a residential treatment facility i shouldn't have to go to therapy. I shouldn't even have to need anything. It should just be. And I think that's a great way that you just put it of, of alleviating some, um, some fears as it were, or some anxiety of just saying, Hey, it, it's, it's all going to be, be okay. Yeah. Well, that's that rapport piece too, that mm -hmm. you're talking about is I think before you can say something like that, there's gotta be some trust that's been built. Yeah. And it takes a special person to be able to do that over the phone as well. Because I'm sure there's just a lot of times you're just listening where you actually don't 
really say very much because I don't know, in my experience, that's, that can be equally as helpful, if not more sometimes. Just shut up and listen to someone for however long it takes for them to get out what they need to get out. I'm a little curious about the spouse side, whether it be a wife or a husband or a significant other that's calling concerned about these kind of things. Those, that same messaging with those same types of fears, how do you, how do you address some of those? How do you address some of those? Um, so the spouses usually have a little bit different, um, their concerns are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, their concerns are typically, how do I present this to my loved one so that they accept help? That's probably the most often asked question is, how do I present this? And the second thing is just, they don't know where to turn either. And they're like, we just know that they're struggling. They're not sleeping. They're not eating. They're blowing up on the kids over nothing. Like, this is not our loved one. Like, what do we do? And again, I just calm them down. I just listen and just let them know, look, these are the steps that we need to take because I know that we can help them. You know, I think going back to what Austin just said, I think a lot of the times I just sit there quiet and a lot of the times it leads to them crying and they're always apologizing for it. And yeah. I'm like, it's okay. Yeah. That's what you need it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I don't know what your view is or what either of your view is on this. Cause I don't think that we've ever really chatted about it, but in those type of situations, in my experience, I, what I try to convey to people is this is my own personal belief and you can take it or leave it for what it, what it is, but love and compassion and understanding is is the correct route to go. If there's a ton of anger and yelling and fighting, it doesn't there tends to be no resolution, right? And so the the tips that I'm giving to these people are along the lines of we love you, we care about you, we want the best for you. We are seeing X, Y, and Z and we need to do something about it. Yeah. You know, my and, and I I love where you're going with that. Uh, you know, I've been working in this peer support community. Um uh, for a lot of years and oftentimes when a significant other or spouse is verbalizing that, that may be the first time they're actually openly saying it out loud for themselves to hear, uh, that we're in trouble and what we got going on is not working and I need help. And that's a really vulnerable spot for them. And I love the fact that you brought up oftentimes you just need to listen. Sometimes you just need to be heard and given that space. Yeah, I think the spouses, at least from what I've encountered, a lot of times they view themselves as that support to that first responder. And so if that first responder isn't succeeding, they aren't succeeding. Mm, Great point. Great point. Yeah. Well, family has a different meaning in this community, I think, right? Like family is one of the, and I think that's, in knowing you, I think that's a personal belief that you have too as well of how important family actually is. Yeah. Like a lot of these, a lot of people and a lot of family members, they love that person so much that they just, they, and they know something's Mm -hmm. going on and they know something's wrong and they just want to help, but they also don't want to piss them off. Yeah. Rock the boat. Yeah. Yeah. No, you bring up a great point about the first responders being, it's a team effort. If you're within a, a relationship as a first responder, that's you're they're a part of it as well. Uh, the veteran community, same you're you're if you're if you're hanging out with in a close relationship 
spousal significant other with a veteran first responder, you're in it. You're in that culture too. Uh, it's not a really, it's not really even up for debate. It's a part of it. You may not like it. You may not agree with it, but you're a part of it. So I think it's a great point you bring up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I even saw that I got the pleasure to attend the Utah, uh, concerns of police survivors gala. And I, I don't know how many, there were a couple hundred people there, right? Mixed husbands, wives, everything like that. And a lot of me, I, I sit back and I just people watch. That's just something natural that I've ever, I've always done, but I could see the intense love and closeness surrounding the family unit at that, you know, that was something that was really beautiful to see. And also instilled, I mean, working in this, you don't get to see the family other than on the, you know, listening to them on the phone or learning about them through conversation. But when you see that intense love with a first responder and their wife or first responder and their husband, it hits home that family is so important. So true. Tyler, as we, uh, as we kind of close out here, um, what, what's the, what's the level of enjoyment you have now with working in this uh, community? Tell us a little bit about, I mean, you've taken on us quite a journey and you've, you've done a real good education piece here as to, if somebody's listening, maybe they, maybe you've already alleviated some questions out there. Um, let's talk about, let's circle back to Tyler's for just a second. Do you enjoy what you do? I do. Yep. Tell us a little bit about the why. I mean, you have, you have a smile on your face now. What, what is it about what you're doing now that you really enjoy? So aside from what I mentioned earlier, being that hope, something that I also enjoy is I get a lot of one-on-one interaction with these individuals. I, I get to pick them up at the airport and I get to take them back to the airport when they're done. So I get to see day one and I get to see day completion and just seeing the transformation and, and the hope. Um, it just, I love, it just, it motivates me. It helps me. Um, there's one thing one of our alumni said as I was taking them back to the airport that just stuck with me. And he said that, you know, 64 days ago, I was dead for two and a half minutes. And now here I sit going home excited for life again. And he goes, thank you. And just hearing that just, it blew me away. And it just reminded me that we are making a difference and we are part of the brotherhood of of law enforcement. And, And I view that as such. And I am honored to give back to that every single day like i just joke that that's my job my job is i get to just be there for you know men and women struggling and be that hope and be their friend and hold their you know hold their hand until they can walk on their own without my hand and i just i love it such a great message such a great story and so many people out there have benefited from that ride home just being heard listening um they're probably a whole lot more talkative going home than they are coming in. Some vary. Some some take the nervousness of coming in and don't stop talking, but by far the vast majority are more talkative on the ride out. Hey, I love the ones that won't stop talking on the way out. <laughs> I love it because it's, it's an interesting thing to see, right? And you know they're nervous, so sometimes you can just let it let it ride the entire time, and you get to learn a lot about that person before they come in. We're chuckling at each other because Austin drove me in, and oh, you didn't we, talk to me. We've, we've t- <laughs> yeah. You know? Do you know that Brad and I shared a total of about twenty words 
in a 45, 50 minute drive. I don't believe it. Yeah. No, well, he was on the phone the whole time. I was exercising oh. my control issues, Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He made about 15 phone calls and I just smiled the whole way up. Like, knowing oh, knowing yeah. what's coming. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, Tyler, no, thank you for coming on. I know that we've been, uh, I've been talking about doing this with you forever. So, I appreciate you taking the time. And I know you didn't really have a choice uh, today to do it. So, I appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll get you on again soon. Sounds good. Tyler, Appreciate thank you yours. so much. And thank you on behalf of, you know, you're such a great uh, conduit to uh, to the first responder community, picking them up and delivering them, uh, and really receiving them on the front end of, of alleviating so much uh, fear. I know nobody really likes to use that word, but their anxiousness and fears. So uh, on behalf of all those people that you've helped, thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Austin, brother. How good is Tyler at this? I, I always knew that he would be. Uh, it took, just just so you're aware, it took two years to get him to make the decision to, to move and, and come to this job. And I kept trying and I kept trying. And, you know, finally I think he was at, at a point that he wanted to. And I'm extremely grateful that, that he was able to, to make that decision and come work with us and work in this field. You know what strikes me um, probably the most about that conversation was, and I, and I knew this about him, but to hear him verbalize, I gave up a career to do something for myself that on the outside looks maybe silly or stupid, maybe even, but he, man, he's doing this for him, for his own good, for his own welfare, for his own mental health. To hear him verbalize that, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, the the fact of the matter is the man had a very successful career in that field and and probably was making more money. Like, that's that shows the passion that somebody can have for uh, people that are struggling with mental health, and and they he cares. Right? Well, you hit it. I mean, when you said authentic, that really resonated. That's the right word uh, because people see that. It, you know, it manifests itself into this. Okay, I can, I can get along with this guy. He's he's a safe, he's a safe person. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where, I think having you, you'll see it a lot in this field is people that have been through one thing or another find themselves wanting to give back because they realize the peace, love, and happiness that they experience is so worth it and is capable for anyone to get. Right. Like that's that's the biggest thing is is you find a peace and you find a love and you find a joy and you want somebody else to experience that. You see that peace in him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I watched that man from day one in his journey uh, to who he has become. Uh, and he is honorable. He is trustworthy. Uh, he is a good friend. That's and those are hard to find. Right. Like we've been through. I mean, the last job that we were at together, man, I mean, it was tough. Not not only mentally, but physically as well. Like, we we worked with young men that were tough cases, and it was physical work. Like, they put your ass to work. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, obviously people can't see that, but Tyler's not a young man, right? So he, he sacrificed a lot to get where he is today. And he was... A decade older than anyone else. But he is big sexy. He is. He is. 
That is, uh, that's a funny story we'll save for another time. But, you know, i super grateful for Tyler coming on. I've been wanting to get him on forever, and I'm glad we, we finally nailed him down. Thanks for bringing him on, Austin. Yep. So we want to, uh, of course, we've got to do our little shout-out here at the end. Uh, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Give us a uh, review. Uh, give us a like. Uh, check us out at nofapodcast.com nofapodcast.com we've got some exciting stuff coming up uh we're gonna start doing some reels and some some stuff like that of the the video podcast so uh check us out and and you know take this journey with us as we grow see y'all Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. We want to give a special shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Chateau Recovery and First Responder Trauma Counselors. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues, it addresses the why. Each of their trauma-trained and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the county to treat responders and veterans, in fact it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to SHIT First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour, all-badges, all-uniforms, all-scrubs, educational experience helps you create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. FRTC's National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent licensed behavioral health clinicians, who teach from lived experience not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive, educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details go to their website 911overwatch.org or contact First Responder Trauma Counselors at 970-222-4193, this could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.